What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode number 81. We're finally back after a week-long hiatus. We hadn't had one for a couple weeks. So this week, we got a good show for you, though. We got Clint McCoy on the phone from North American Whitetail. We've covered a couple of his articles in the past. Uh, He was a great guest. We had a good conversation. He's an Illinois guy, so that was cool. Then we got to talk to uh, another guy from down close to our area. We talked about uh, kind of his upbringing in hunting, how he got started, when he got started, all that stuff. We talked about some stuff that he's got going on now with North American Whitetail, some stuff he's looking forward to coming up. Um, he's a veterinarian. He studied that at U of I, so real interesting guy. He had a lot of interesting uh, insights on some things, so that was cool. We had a good conversation with him. Before we get into it, though, don't forget, if you guys want to support the podcast, about our sponsors. So if you're looking for your own piece of ground to manage and hunt and do some of the things that we talk about all the time on the podcast, too, or if you're looking to sell ground, Rodney Hawkins is a guy to talk to. He grew up hunting and fishing in Southern Illinois, and now he's putting that love for the outdoors into selling recreational properties as a land specialist with Midwest Farm and Land. MFL isn't your average real estate company. They sold over $85 million worth of ground in 2022 alone. With agents like Rodney all over Illinois, they're really a local company with a national reach. For more info on them, you can contact Rodney directly at 618-925-3153, and he'll get you taken care of. He's also recently started a company called RG Outdoors, and he's got hard and soft-sided blinds and blind chairs all from Radix Blinds. In addition to Camo Dust, which is an all-natural scent elimination product, he's got burn self defense weapons, and he's got Tacticam cameras now. He's coming out with new stuff all the time, so if you want to keep up with him, anything he's got coming out or the products he has now, you can go to their Facebook page, RG Outdoors, email them at rgoutdoors at yahoo.com, or again, just call Rodney directly at 618-925-3153. Our other sponsor for the podcast, as you guys know, if you've been listening, is Grandpa Re Outdoors. We've been working with them longer than any company at this point, and we're going to continue to do that as long as we can uh, because we love their products. They specialize in providing the best nutrition for white-tailed deer on your property, starting with the soil. They've got a full line of high-quality food plot seed and plant foods. They were started in 2015, but John, who runs the place, has actually been in the business since 1991. They've got over 14 different food plot blends to choose from, so no matter what you're looking for, you're not going to have any trouble finding it. Fall and spring blends, corn and beans, switchgrass, liquid fertilizer, soil test kits, you name it, they've pretty much got it when it comes to food plots. They're not just about selling their products, though. Their customer service is second to none. They'll answer any questions you have about what blends would be best for your specific property. That way you can achieve the best results possible. John and his team don't believe in a cookie-cutter approach to wildlife nutrition. They're going to treat you and your situation individually. They're not about a fancy label or package either. They're about good quality seed and taking care of their clients. Like I said, we've used their seeds on our own properties, on client properties for years now, and the results have always been as good at advertising no matter where we plant them. Uh, If we ever have any questions about what would work best where, we just contact John. He lets us know. Uh, It's always been, like I said, as good as advertised. So you can check them out at GrandpaRayOutdoors.com and use the discount code RHOPODCAST. That's all lowercase, no space, and you get 5% off your order, and that lets him know that you heard about him through the podcast, so that helps us out as well. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Rich Hunter Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram. We've got a Facebook group now, RHO Podcast Patrons, for some exclusive content. We'll let you guys know, like, for example, this episode, uh, we let you know that Clint McCoy was coming up, so if anybody has any questions specifically for the guests that we have, you can ask them in the comments, and then we'll ask them on the podcast as long as we see them in time. So, Also, our website, richhunteroutdoors.com. Anything you see on there, use the discount code RHOPOD. That's all caps and you get 10% off the whole website, everything in your order. You can follow us on Apple and Apple Podcast and Spotify as well. Leave us reviews there. That helps us out. And then the YouTube channel, go 
Subscribe to that, like, and comment on any of the videos we got there. We got some exciting stuff coming up this fall that I kind of covered on the last Full Draw Friday episode. But we're excited to be back rolling. Got another good episode for you, like I said, with Clint McCoy. Here we are with episode number 81. This is the Rich Hunter Outdoors podcast. All right, everybody, we got Clint McCoy here with us this week. If you want to, you guys can go back and listen to episode 16, where we covered his article on still hunting. And then episode 20, we covered one of his articles, I believe it was called The Winter Warrior. So um, obviously, we've covered some of his stuff before. So I wanted to get him in here, finally got in contact with you, Clint. Um, but how you doing tonight, man? I'm glad you were able to come on. I'm doing good, guys. Um yeah, I appreciate you guys giving me the the nod on those articles, man. I I always I grew up on a family dairy farm down here in southeastern Illinois, and uh, you know my dad wasn't a hunter. He didn't uh, <laughs> he didn't think hunting was a big deal because mm-hmm. it wasn't work. It wasn't work, you know, right. being on a dairy farm. And long and short of it, I just had to learn it all myself, and I started right. I started wanting to write for North American at a really early age because I'd looked to that for, for knowledge and mm-hmm. learning, you know, it was actually my first subscription I ever bought with my own money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I thought, yeah. And I, I wanted to, to like, so when I, when I didn't have any money, I was poor. I'd sneak in with my mom to the grocery store and I'd try and read it all in one sitting, but <laughs> right. some, you know, depending on how much you needed. But yeah, I, I always kind of looked up those guys on those old red label covers in the nineties. Like mm-hmm. I want to, I want to be one of those guys one of these days. I want to be one of them on the cover. And then later on I was like, I don't want to be on the cover. I want to write for it every <laughs> right, month. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of where I, I met Gordon Whittington at a, a deer and, and turkey show. And uh, he gave me my first assignment and I told him I always wanted to write. And he was really gracious and kind. And, and he's been a great ambassador to the sport for, for many, many years. And, mm-hmm. and, and the founder of that, or the, uh, the upkeeper, that editor in chief, that magazine for so long, he's done a good job. Yeah. So you're talking about, going with your mom and getting as much free reading in as you can at the grocery store about what age are you there and i guess that's probably when it sparked the interest i am definitely a hundred percent 13 years old then okay (laughs) okay yeah so uh were you interested in hunting before that or you just started kind of seeing that stuff and that's what piqued your interest in hunting well really how i got my start i had some friends in high school that their dads were heavy big hunters and Mm -hmm. I become close friends with them and they kind of showed me the ropes with 22s and such. And, um, you know, he, that old guy let us go. He taught us gun safety and, and mm-hmm. let us, um, like really responsibly, um, and, uh, kind of let us go off on our own with a single shot 22. And that's how we learned. And, um, you know, later on, um, you know, I wanted to, you know, just try and, develop my skill set but i was definitely 13 years old then for sure okay cool it's it's amazing how many guys that we talk to uh, on the podcast that are such big i mean like influencers if you want to call them that but they're big names in the Uh whitetail world now but they started on squirrels or rabbits you know with dad or grandpa or somebody of theirs Uh, like that's all kind of where it all started it's a pretty common thing it seems like yeah, and it doesn't necessarily have to be your dad. It can right. like the person that actually took me hunting 
he was kind of like my older brother. I was the oldest of three, so I never had an older brother, and he mm-hmm. was like 10 years older than me. So when he was 23, I'd have been 13, and he was involved in, in deer hunting down here in Illinois with the, uh, slug guns during firearm mm-hmm. season. And he dabbled a little bit in archery, and he's the one that started taking me and got my first tags and such. And, mm-hmm. and uh, man, the first two years, I didn't kill anything with that, with those, that gun. And I'm like, I want to pick up archery because I can hunt for three months instead of like seven days. Right. Yep. So that's where I got my start in archery, just the desire to do it more often, more frequently. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what your first bow was? My first bow was a hand-me-down Fred Bear Whitetail too. There you go. Yeah, it had this weird cable system on it, um, uh-huh. and the yeah, it was. Uh, and the wheels on it weren't cams; they were wheel bows. You yep. know, oh, yeah. and they were the loudest, <laughs> vibratingest, oh, like yeah. hard. And there's like sixty. What was it? Fifty-five or sixty-five percent let off? Uh probably fifty-five. I was. I mean. A lot of those were I, not very much. It, they weren't much, and I can't remember. And this thing was too damn long for me. And <laughs> you know, it was, <laughs> you know, it was just a beater. But mm-hmm. it got me throwing arrows downrange. And then later on, I bought a um, uh, Browning Mirage uh, or Tornado, I should say. And yeah. then after that, the after a year or so with that, I was like, I want to be one of those Matthews guys. So I bought a Matthews legacy when I was in college and uh-huh. that's where, that's where it turned it off. You know, I was like, this is it. We're, we're into this archery thing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, did you kill anything with that white tail too? No, no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't kill anything till I got better equipment. Right, um, yep. The only thing I killed was time. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. So, um, what, what age were you when you killed your first deer? Uh, let's see. So I started when I was 13 and I was 16 when I, when I shot my first deer, okay. it was, a I shot it with a single, or excuse me, a Winchester, uh, 1300 pump, like with a walnut checker and stock. It was my first shotgun I ever had. Mm-hmm. And it was just a smooth glor bore glossy finish bird gun. And, and we just put a, um, uh, I think an improved cylinder or modified, I can't remember, uh, for slugs and, you know, you could if you could hit a pie plate at fifty yards, especially with that damn bird bead covering up half of the target. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> then if you could hit a pie plate with that kind of equipment, you were considered quote unquote accurate. Right, uh, you were <laughs> damn near marksman at that point. Oh yeah, but this little buck, he came down the the ridge right in front of me, and I'd shimmied up this tree that was laying down like at a 45 degree angle, it had a great big crotch in the top of it. So I'm like, I think I could skinny up there and sit there. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, here come two little bucks toward nightfall, come down this big hill in front of me and in the timber and heading out to the field to feed. And I picked out the biggest one, which was a scrub buck, two-year-old. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> but he was the biggest one of the two. The first one was a spike. Yeah. And I cut down on him and dropped him the first shot. And then nobody told me what to do after you shoot one and he drops in its tracks. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So I got two more shells. I throw two more into him. <laughs> yeah, right. And it, I didn't want him getting up and running away. Right. right. And I was jacked. <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, I was spazzing out yeah. and, and he was fucking around. I just put three more in there, two more into him. And, uh, my uncle comes over at dark and he's like, man, what's all the shooting? You miss one? 
And I'm like, no, he's laying right over there. He's like, why'd you shoot him two more times in the guts for? I was like, um, I don't know. Insurance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, I've always been that way. Like, bear down on him and make sure he's, yeah. you know, from word go, make sure he's dead and, you know, make uh-huh. sure he's finished off. For sure. Yeah. Uh, so that's, I guess, you were 16, 17-ish at that point, you said? Yeah, yeah, I was okay. 16 then. Um, and then I, I heard you talking on, I think it was the Exodus podcast, uh, and maybe you even said it in the intro, and I just can't remember already. But you went to U of I for veterinary school. You said you were a vet. Uh, what what led to that? Was it growing up on the dairy farm and being around animals 100%, so much? Okay. 100%. Yeah, I, um, I still wanted to be involved in animal agriculture, mm-hmm. but I wanted to... Um, I wanted to have more financial means than maybe what my folks had growing up. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, yep. I don't mean that in a bad way. Oh yeah. I they mean. were hardworking, ass busting blue collar people. And, but I always saw my mom worrying about like balancing the check checkbook every, every time she made a transaction, you right. know, like, right. and, um, I was like, I want to get a job where I'm still involved in animal ag and I don't have to balance the checkbook. Right. And, where That's you, you can work your butt I'm, off and it seems like it's worth it more, a right. little more financially and at least. I've always been really fond of all animals. Like, you know, it doesn't matter. Cattle, dogs and cats, pigs. Like, we was in 4-H for 10 years, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I just loved every bit of them. Um, we birthed our own 4-H pigs and I was there for it. Like, it was I like, man, this is cool stuff. And that's kind of what led me to wanting to go. I think Nate has a soft spot in his heart for pigs. Oh, man. Yeah. I worked at a hog nursery for six years, uh, high school and college. That's what. uh, What were you doing? Needle teeth and and vaccinating? Vaccinating, yeah. Uh, We only had them for for six weeks. Um, Okay. uh, We'd get them when they were uh, fresh off weaning, uh, like three weeks or three and a half weeks old. We'd keep them for six weeks. They'd be 42, 44 pounds. And they'd ship out uh, going to northern Missouri, uh, anywhere in Iowa, Minnesota, Nebraska, South Dakota. Who, who was the who was the owner of the facility? Was it Mashoffs? No, uh, Brian Bennett owned the place. Um, oh, really? Yep. Uh, he's the only guy in this part of the world not Mashoff. Uh, I'll be. Yeah, that's why I asked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would get yeah. those, we would get those piglets from up there at that place south of Effingham, just on the east side of forty five. Oh yeah, I know exactly where that's at. Yep. So they would. Uh, we were the nursery for that south farm. I'll be. So you you went to college for veterinary school, and then yep. at what point? Like obviously, you said you kind of decided at some point. First of all, you wanted to be the guy on the cover of the magazine, and then you wanted to be the guy writing in the magazine. Where did you start deciding that you would kind of put the wheels into motion to, to actually do that? Um, I've always kept a journal. I think that's kind of where it started. Mm-hmm. And so it was the, the moment that I, the experience that I had that led me to wanting to write was my senior English teacher in high school, Mrs. Russell, who lets me hunt some really primo ground of hers <laughs> mm-hmm. um, to this day. Um, she taught us English, and um, she's a big influence because she started the day out every single day with five minutes in the journal. And sometimes she'd give you a small assignment. Sometimes she would let you just freestyle it. And, and she said, quote, 
anything goes. You can write any word, anything. Um, there's no censorship in here whatsoever. Um, and you're not going to get in trouble. I'm not going to tell your folks. I just want to read it and grade it. Mm -hmm. And that was really eye opening because then you could really experiment and, um, you know, you could write without fear of judgment. And that really, boy, that really put a, uh, a seed into me. Like I kind of like doing this mm -hmm. and I, I want to cultivate that. So that's kind of where it started. Yeah. Mrs. Russell's English class, PHS class of 97. <laughs> there you go. That's interesting that you say that because uh, we talked a little bit before we got on here. I used to do a little bit of writing for uh, newspapers and then online publications as well. But what got me into writing and eventually led to a full-time job for a little while was an English teacher that I had in high school that <laughs> I'd say 90% of the people hated. Nate would have had her too. Um, yep. She since, was Since you said that. Yeah. <laughs> she was hard. You got to name her name. You got to uh, name Ms. her. Miss Campbell was her name. She was hardcore, yep. uh, especially for uh, lower classmen. So upperclassmen, she liked a little bit better, which I understand. At this point in my life, I completely, I do a little bit of coaching, and I get that. So <laughs> <clears throat> she was like, by the book, real hardcore, hard grading, but she was good at what she did. She was a really good teacher mm -hmm. in my mind, and she made me a good writer, and I actually learned to enjoy it uh, through that class. And so many people went through that class and just hated it, I think because maybe because she was so good at her job. And she had yeah. like she had pretty strict guidelines that she wanted to see, but it was because she wanted to to see you become better at writing, I think. And that was kind of what led me to some of the opportunities I had. So it's kind of interesting that it makes you feel good. Yeah. Like yep. it, it makes you feel like like when they encourage like we all can look back at some of our educators and pick out like cherry pick them, right? Mm -hmm. Like the ones that really done it for you. Mm -hmm. And then you can always go back and cherry pick the ones that you really despised or hated or didn't mesh their style with their style or whatever. Right. They were really, really anti or negative on you, but mm -hmm. the ones in the middle, you just forget. Right. And, and yep. the ones that are anti, you know, the ones that are, were, you didn't care for, uh, you know, they're on that end of the spectrum for whatever reason, but right. uh, you, they're very few and far between the ones that you really remember are, are the encouragers. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yep. 100%. No doubt. So uh, I think I heard you say on that as well, you've been writing for North American Whitetail now for roughly six years? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yep. Okay. And you said, uh, you know, you kind of got with Gordon Whittington at a mm -hmm. show, and that's how you got your start. Where, did you seek him out, or how did that come about? No, see, it was wild. Um, so I have a stepson named Troy. He's, I don't call him Step. He is my son, mm -hmm. but um, he's a... Uh, he came into my life when he was 10 and he was wanting to get into the hunting thing. Didn't know the first thing about it. Never been to the woods before. And, and you know, I, I just cultivated that into him and taught him from ground up like bare bones. And, uh, he'd shot a few bucks his first two years or excuse me, shot a few deer his first couple of seasons. And man, he got into archery and really just started tearing it up. And he shot a 200, uh, in 200 and, he, he in in 2000 like 16 he shot a 205 inch non-typical gross holy like, cow and we were we were targeting him like i felt confident enough in his skill set at a third as a 13 year old that he could do it and, and he we were tag teaming him 
and he not only shot him once, so he grunt, he, he grabs the, he sees the deer coming, grabs a grunt call, which I never would have done. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be like, nope, he, he, you don't want to, you don't want to spook him. Right. He just sees him trotting along in the little ditch in front of him. Um, going to come right to the base of the tree after the grunt. And he does, and he shoots him kind of low forward, mm-hmm. uh, hit him with one of these striker four blades, you know, um, and, uh, he runs around in behind the stand at like 25 yards and he shoots him again, mm-hmm. like, and, and pin like quarters away and pinwheels him. Man. And I'm like, he's telling me this, I'm freaking out, losing my mind. And he's <laughs> telling me this. I'm like, let me get this straight. You grunted to the biggest deer we've ever chased together. And in your third, three year illustrious <laughs> career, <laughs> right? He came walking over to you and it, like 15 yards you shot him once and then he spun around behind the stand you shot him quartered away and it passed through him he's like yep i think yeah i feel pretty good about it i'm like this is ridiculous like it's that easy we go, we... <laughs> yeah no no he was jacked he yeah. was spazzing out yeah um worse than i was but we go out to that cornfield where he took off to and man is super um right off the bat and so we left him for um, the overnight, we did not want to push that deer whatsoever. And we right. went and found it the next morning. Yeah, it was awesome. And that's where I met Gordon. We took that deer to the show up there at the Illinois deer and Turkey classic. Um, mm-hmm. when it was, I believe in Peoria there yeah. and, uh, um, man, it's a great venue. Mm-hmm. I hope they get that back going again. It's an awesome show. But anyway, I, um, I met Gordon there, um, because he was coming he came over and was looking at Troy's buck and talking to him and, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's Gordon. Um, you know, I've seen him on North American Whitetail TV, and I, you know, watched tons and tons of episodes of that. And I knew he's the editor in chief, so mm-hmm. he he asked Troy um, if they could do a big buck profile for their television show. Um, and so Troy got interviewed by Gordon, and um, you know, it was part of you know, did a big buck profile on that buck we call the main event. Man, mm-hmm. he was. A giant i'll send you guys the link to it yeah um, yeah and yeah and um it was it was a lot of fun meeting him and i, I talked to him there after he got done shooting um i'm like hey i'd i'd really kind of like to try my hand at writing and i told him i was a veterinarian by trade and he said you know what that sounds pretty interesting because i'm sure you know a lot of unique things about sciencey stuff right mm-hmm. um i'm like yeah i eat sleep and breathe it um and so that's kind of how we developed our relationship he gave me just a you know small assignment um at time zero about trail ca- soaking trail cameras for long durations right mm-hmm. and that that was my first article and ain't looked back since cool um you said you were kind of self-taught i guess uh, and then yeah like you didn't have what your son has now, I guess, as obviously someone has been doing it as long as you have and have the experience that you do. What were some of the toughest lessons that you learned early on hunting whitetails? Um, well, it, the, the first two years, it, um, the fir- very first one of the big lessons I learned is when I got a bow that fit me, Mm-hmm. I was dead. I was deadly, mm-hmm. you, you know, when it fit me proper and mom, mom was great about that. She actually got bought that for Christmas for me and took me to the pro shop out down in Vincennes, Indiana. And it was a little, little shop guy run out of his kind of back 40 and mm-hmm. 
he set me up with that browning and and dipped like hand dipped and crested some fluorescent white arrows like big aluminum like oh yeah a double eastern double x like Twenty one seventeen. We're yep. talking like pieces of freaking rebar. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> and and, and uh, it, it it made me more accurate. You know, yep. I, I got a sight system for it and a, a proper rest, and and I was off to the races then. And so that ver- that year, I shot my first deer with it. It was really um, early uh, early October, or excuse me, late October, and um, mm-hmm. nice nice cool morning. She come walking right by me, and that was it. Mm-hmm. I was hooked ever since, man. Uh, Clint, so you said at 13 uh, you kind of fell in love with the magazine, uh, and you didn't have anybody really, uh, you know, gr- that you grew up with uh, hunting until, you know, you started on your own. How much mm-hmm. did you rely on the magazine uh, to, that you now write for uh, to try to teach you uh, what you need to be doing? It, it was – probably my a number one resource legitimately and I'm, yeah. I'm not just putting them over because i work for them like um between north but it didn't have everything i wanted yeah. um it had a lot of stories about good deer hunts but it didn't have a lot of things like i mean it did it, it intermingles how to hunt and a successful hunt you know mm-hmm. yeah um so i like that blend about that magazine because it's entertaining or it was back in the day now everything's digital almost right. but we're still in print right mm-hmm. we're still doing it mm-hmm. um but anyway like um I, it didn't have everything i needed so up at our little palestine library public library in a town of 1400 people um, I started checking out books on hunting and archery and I read Fred bear's field notes. Then and I was like, dude, this is awesome. Yeah. Like it really, like when I've read a couple things with Fred bear and the world of archery course, it was like a 1978 copyright. <laughs> you know, it, was, yep. it showed a whole bunch of, you know, sh- guys shooting bows that were top of the line that are way shittier than what I'm using right now. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> but, uh, it was, you had to intermingle, um, the, the two types of media. And, and another thing I started doing was, man, didn't you guys get hooked on these DVDs years ago? Oh, for sure. Like VHS yeah. tapes and DVDs. I wore out a 100%. Roger Ragland VHS tape. That yeah, I had. <laughs> man, I did too. I wore out the whole Primos Truth series when oh, they yeah. stacked them in doubles. Yep. And yep. man, they were like three hours a piece of nothing but <laughs> killing. It wasn't yep. shilling products or cutaways right. or fancy Gaga. Right. It was laying the beat down on <laughs> whitetails one after another without all the flim flam. Yep. Right. And yep. I'm like. They, I studied those. Like, so when I got into vet school is when I really started diving deep on those. Cause I was, you know, knee deep in anatomy. Mm-hmm. And so I'm studying these shot placements and tapes and I sit down and start making hand notes mm-hmm. about presentation and, um, and vertical location and pitch, mm-hmm. um, of the arrow. Like if he's way out there at 45 or right in close at 10, you right. know, like, just factor in all these things in and start thinking with a scientific mind. And that really helped me with those DVDs, man. It did. Yep. Just being able to see other guys doing it and the results they're having. And then, like you said, with that anatomy background, that's a, that's a pretty good resource to know, okay, if this deer is at 30 yards and I hit him here from this angle, you know, pretty much what you hit. 
Yeah, and 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 or missed. or didn't hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and and probabilities of death and causes of death. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's there's uh, death is not ubiquitous um, in in cutting instruments versus projectiles fired from a weapon. Right. Um, it, it's different. Yep. Um, and um, yeah, so that anatomy is real, and physiology too has really helped me understand the process of putting one on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, that's been that's a big tremendous advantage. Yeah, no doubt. I want to circle back to uh, what you said about the equipment and when you finally got the good equipment and how much more lethal you became. I think it. We've come so far with the archery equipment we have now that you can get we'll call it budget equipment and still be very accurate and very lethal. Mm-hmm. We're like at a time when you started '90s, uh, early to mid to late '90s, even some of the early 2000s. Some of yeah. the equipment out there that was would be considered budget equipment was just like two steps up from what the Indians were using, you know. <laughs> right. Um, but that's really important. You look at pro athletes, for example, anybody that's a uh, professional musicians, they have the best equipment for a reason because that's what makes them how good they are. They have all this skill, but you can take all this skill and then a, a so-so piece of equipment and you're you kind of have a ceiling. Now, if you have the yeah. best equipment and all this skill, then you've really expanded your horizons of what you can do. And that's not yeah. to say you got to buy a $1500 bow every year that they come out, but I think right. just what but you I, said about I having think, the right equipment is really important. Yeah, so I think having good equipment and 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 finding your accuracy perpetuates the love of further shooting. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah, no like doubt. Like when you're accurate and you're not fighting junk yep. or pro- improper fit or shitty arrows or anything like that, when you invest in quality gear, it's an investment in your own skills. Yep. Be- yep. Because the tolerance for error with perfectly tuned setup bows is, is small, you know, yep. like – um, but, but, you know, doubling back to what you said about budget, um, you're right. You can kill deer with garage sale bows mm-hmm. nowadays. You can, my, uh, Troy's buck, the main event, uh, big non-typical, he shot it with one of those bear, uh, compound RTH ready to hunt setups mm-hmm. for a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually for a kid or an adult. It can adjust the draw length from like. 20 the, the minimum state draw length of 20 something 26 mm-hmm. 27 inches um all the way up to 30 um mm-hmm. and so i started him with that and worked his way up to like and, and um you know proper draw length on him but that, mm-hmm. that was a budget bow i think it cost us i don't know 325 350 mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's, and he killed a monster with it yeah, dude. yeah. like it's, it's definitely totally, like he yeah, it's definitely a different world than it was back in the '90s when it was to, everything was still pretty new as far as the how far yeah. we've come on the equipment. But that's I just wanted to yeah kind of go back to that because that is really important. Like you said, if you have everything right and you go out there with crap equipment and you shoot and you're only accurate fifty percent, even seventy five percent of the time, you're still fighting that other fifty twenty five percent and wondering what you're doing wrong. When in all reality. It might just be the fact that you don't have an arrow rest that's worth a damn, and it, it doesn't stay in the same right. spot all the time, or your arrow is not in the same spot all the time, and it gets yep. frustrating, and it and it causes you to not want to shoot as much, which you know as much as I do. The key to being good in the fall is shooting and shooting and shooting. Mm-hmm. That way you get that repetition in. 
Yeah, that's correct. And, and, you know, and, and muscle memory, mm-hmm. you know, and muscle memory too. And, yep. and uh, yeah, I, I, I think an important point here to make is the, the tighter your tune, um, the tighter your group should be, right? Like yep. when you get one dialed down and you're flinging them all over hell's half acre, do not start making a bunch of rest changes, sight right. changes or any other bullshit. Right. Put it up, put it up for the night. Yep. Go out in the morning when it's calm and cool and fling a couple mm-hmm. when you're calm yep. and see what your mind helps you do. Yeah. Yeah. I Cause I always, point. I get into a scenario where I have a big stressful day. It's every freaking day in the vet clinic. We're going like gangbusters, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, 25, 30 pages a day, five or six surgeries. We're grinding a, a piece. We're grinding. Right. And, so you get home from a busy work day and you're stressed out and you're tired and you haven't eaten supper yet. And then it's hotter than blazes in the summer. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's just a shitty combination of stress and heat and poor visibility. Get up in the morning, start shooting when it's cooler and calmer before you have that stress of the work day. And I guarantee you'll be more confident in your setup and you won't need to move that rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. It's kind of shifting gears a little bit again here. You mentioned that your teacher, Miss Russell, was that right? Yeah, Mrs. Russell, yep. Yeah, so Mrs. You, Linda Russell. So you're hunting some of her ground, I guess. And I thought I heard the Exodus guy say as well that you don't uh, hunt any ground that you own or lease. So is that correct? correct? So are you hunting uh, all permission ground? Are you mixing in some public? What's that look like for you? Um, yeah, it's like a 90-10 split, 90 private. And by private, I mean it's like you could call it public private or yeah. private public. You yep. know what I mean? <laughs> yep. Everybody, every farmer around here wants every deer dead. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. and you know, it comes to reason that most farmers have dogs and cats and cattle and horses. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you're good to them and treat their animals right and don't overcharge them and stuff like that and be a normal, decent human being to them, they'll right. typically let you go hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, I'm really fortunate with that. Like I have a ton of good relationships with my landowners and, um, we stay in contact all the time. Uh, you know, it tried to about every year, every other year, um, just make sure something hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and we treat the ground good. Like yep. we treat it like it's our own or even better. Right. Um, and we pick up after ourselves and we pick up stray trash no matter who left it. Like we do the things you're supposed to do, be a good sportsman, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know we don't poach we don't use more tags than we should like yep. you just try to be on the up and up and people will treat you good yeah you can definitely shoot yourself in the foot as a uh, person who's hunting permission ground if you go in there and you're disrespectful to the ground or the animals or anything because not only do all the farmers around want all the deer dead all the farmers around talk at the restaurant in the morning so if you're you go right. in there that's a good point if you drive across that field after two inches of rain and you yep. leave three-inch, four-inch ruts you know, across that guy's field. That's a great point. Not only are you not hunting his ground anymore, but you're not hunting any ground around him anymore. <laughs> I, I have never thought of it that way, but that is a fantastic point. Yeah, I, I so I think what you're saying, that's the stuff you got to do. Just be a decent human being and be smart about it. But uh, I actually hunt a, one of my better spots. One of the two spots I spend a lot of time at is permission ground as well. And... I've had a relationship with them, the landowners long enough that it's almost, I'm basically the only guy hunting it 
it's almost yeah. like I can do what I want, you know, yeah. as long as I don't affect what they're doing. Uh, it's you can create a really good uh, a really good spot to kill mature deer on permission ground if you do yep. things right. Even even if you're limited on what you can do habitat wise, just being a, True. S- a yeah, smart 100%. hunter. Um, and I have gone so back in the day. I, th- I we do have a to to be straightforward. We do have a small family farm here. Mm-hmm. My dad, um, dairy farmer and of course grain farmer, you got to support those cows with, with a lot of corn silage. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think dad farms maybe, uh, on like on a acres basis, like eight, 900, you know, self-sustaining right, right. dairy farm. Um, and, uh, but we don't have a lot of timber, you know, we, it's, it's just not ideal. And, and I, I would, I would really like one of these days to, buy, you know, buy a little stretch off the old man here and. I live right beside the family farm on a place I bought years ago and, mm-hmm. you know, it just worked out really well. But, um, I'd love to, to buy my own stretch right in here behind my house from, from my dad, my dad off the farm and, and turn it into 40 acre, um, like legit ground up because it's in alfalfa now. Right. Uh, and it's like towards its last year or two of production. Mm-hmm. I'd like to buy a 40 square right behind the house all the way back to the neighbor's wood line and do what I want. Yeah. And, and I'd love to do that. Almost like I a blank slate. Yes. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, you go in, you get a control burn plan, burn it, mm-hmm. uh, and then do what you want. Yeah. Like, yep. Whatever the hell you want to do. If I want to put a tree right there, I can do it. Yep, exactly. You know, There's if, a... if I want to, if I want to put a food plot over there, no one to tell you no. Exactly. Like... <laughs> There's a lot of power in that, and you can even, like you said, even on a forty acres, you can create really good habitat and have. Oh yeah. And I mean, increase your chances at at killing those mature bucks every year. And, and, uh, yeah, and I've already thought about it to this point. So you're gonna, you know, your listeners are gonna ask, well, how are you gonna take it from the ground up? and you know and be able to hunt it before you're 90 you know i'm 40 i'm 44 right um and it's really simple you plant nothing but bedding cover you know like mm-hmm. real world switch grass or that bedding in a bag they have and right. out here on the open sun that stuff will grow like gangbusters yep. you yep. know on no the doubt. prairie and so then you just bring in you know a half a dozen or so uh, oaks that are you're going to have to pay for them now mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you're going to have to pay for these bigger mature trees that can be planted yep but you plant like you know and you know you can consult with somebody plant an x amount of number of those and get them to as big as you can to get a tree stand in it within yep. three or four years you know Yep. Uh, especially if you're using like a pin oak or something that grows really fast out in open sun mm-hmm. and you water the piss out of those bastards yep. in, in the summertime and, yep. and fertilize them and such. And, and that'd be how I would do it is just put some key spots. It kind of rolls back here behind the house and, you know, just put it in some travel corridors and create, it'd be, it'd be fun. Oh yeah. So no much doubt. fun. No doubt. There's a lot you can do. We talk about small properties so much cause we do some management work. And uh, one of the the best place that I hunt is just ten acres, and it's like you said, if if you're buttoning up to timber, find what is not what the is least available in your neighborhood or your block, and then give the deer that on your property. If you only have so much ground to work with, find what they don't have, and see if you can give them that. Give them a reason to be there more often. 
Yeah, and you make a great point. You always, before you start making a bunch of management decisions, I think you're right on the nose with that is you've got to figure out what your least common denominator for success is going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, like you might be food heavy, um, mm-hmm. you might be cover poor, you might be cover poor. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're liable to have no water or you're liable to have too much water and a some bitch floods, you know, right. like lots of factors to throw in there. And to your point, um, you got to kind of know how aggressive your neighbors hunt. You got to know how um, and what they do for any kind of management or if they do any at all. Um, you know, there's a lot of factors there. Yep. Yeah, that's a big one, too, that uh, you don't think about a lot is how you're how your neighbors are hunting the property. I know Nate kind of some of the hunting you do is based off of how some people hunt some timber close to you and yeah, how they either always do, yeah. do or do not hunt it well. Yeah. It, uh, uh, if you, if you learn what they're doing and, uh, and just see how the deer are reacting, you know, uh, you can learn a lot just, just from that. And, uh, and that can, now really you're being too success. modest here. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're being too modest. What you mean is, you evaluate what you think they're doing right and what you think they're doing wrong, and you don't do that. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> like, you know, and that's I'm not being judgmental. I think right. it's yep, good yep. to, you know, I think it's good to free think on something like this, but yep. um, I'm sure everybody sees me doing something stupid and they're making a bunch of assumptions like, why the hell is he doing that? Yeah. Yep. Um, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. But no, you're right, though. If you know, If you know the neighbor has a, let's say a creek system that they could use in their timber, but they don't, they just choose to walk right across it. And they do that every time. And every time they walk yeah. through there, they bump deer and the next uh. closest bedding's on your property. You know, when you hear that truck door shut that you better be ready. Cause those deer are probably coming because your neighbor's walking you right la- through them. <laughs> you j- <laughs> there, there's you no- just laid you, literally <laughs> you just Johnny Carson, the great Karnak one, that one for me, like predicted it yep. was in the envelope. Yep. That is exactly what I'm going to try and do <laughs> yep. for, for this back 40 piece that I, I want uh, yeah. um and, and if i'd love to have it because i do the same thing man they access it on with side by sides and i'm not picking them apart but right. i'm not picking my neighbors apart but they access it by side by side bunkhouse and it's a nice big 300 plus acre property mm-hmm. um they have access lanes all through the heart of the property and they drive from the bunkhouse to the north <laughs> and the property extends all the way 300 acres to the south mm-hmm. and you know, some of the stands are in this massive creek bottom that, but right up against where I want. Right. And it's got a great big deep creek basin, and I use that to slip in and out on them. Right, always mm-hmm. it's like a subway tunnel. Oh yeah, yep. <laughs> and 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 those guys, I'll be in a tree, and uh, again, I'm not busting on them, but they'll drive all their side besides down the the heart of the property, mm-hmm. and right before, barely before legal shooting light too with the lights on and they're yep. dropping, stopping and dropping people off and they're all walking <laughs> it. Like it's, it's yeah. quite the spectacle. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. when, when they're walking in and it's right at daylight, um, let's just put it this way. Shit can get pretty hairy, pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. things are lo- going to happen for you. <laughs> yes. Um, and it's, yep. it might be helter skelter, mm-hmm. uh, but be on point. Yep. Yeah, you got to be alert. 
You got if you, yeah. <laughs> That's what I said. If you can know what your neighbors are doing wrong, you can you can definitely capitalize on it. Well, we're not going to call it wrong. What we perceive, <laughs> because perception is everything, they could, they ha- could have a strategy in their mind too. Right. And right. it may look wrong it, to me or you and how our brain interprets that it. That strategy may just be what's the easiest way I can get from point A to point B. <laughs> it, it might be, yep. or yep. it might be, hey, you know, so you got to be objective with that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yep. you just be, I don't want to say critical, but critically thinking. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yep, that's a good way to put it. So... You mentioned earlier uh, you met Gordon Winnington at the Illinois Deer and Turkey, and that's a show that I want to say maybe they brought it back for last year, the year before. I think it uh, was la- this past year, yeah. yeah. But we were looking for it. I was kind of looking for it for this year, and, and I they didn't have it to my knowledge. Uh, but we're going to be at, like, the Deer and Beer Fest this fall. Mm-hmm. We always, the last few years, we tried to make it up to Iowa for that show. That's a great show. It up is. There. I mean, that's, that's phenomenal. To me, it's one of the best, yeah. especially in the Midwest. If, if any of your listeners out there are like diehard deer guys, right, here in Illinois, and you've never been to that Iowa uh, deer classic up there, it, make it make a pilgrimage. Go do it. It's mm-hmm. it's it's really impressive. Yeah. I would, that's kind of where I was leading with this is of the shows that you've been to, uh, what are kind of some of your favorites that you think people should go to? Obviously the Iowa one. And then are, are you going to be at any coming up? Do you plan that stuff out or is it just kind of, Hey, I got this weekend free and the show's going um, yeah, on. Yeah. It's it really what it all boils down to. So I've got to work half day Saturdays. Saturday's a busy day for vet clinics. Yeah, or at least yeah. ones that are still want to be open on Saturdays, you know, right. which are very few and far between. But everybody's got a day off on Saturday, and everybody's got pets. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It just makes business sense, right? Yep. Well, it, it it revolves the show schedule revolves around my work schedule because I don't want to take a vacation any vacation days right. other than for deer hunting or the wife. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, yep. That's it. That's what is getting my vacation days. It'll yep. be deer hunting or the wife. Sounds to me like you got your priorities in order. <laughs> she's first because yep. she's in the summer. <laughs> right. See we. So my wife is, this is another great point I want to make. My wife is on board for this whole deer hunt thing. She's not one of these wives that hate it. Um, and sees it as you using an excuse not to spend time watching crap on Netflix or whatever, you know, like that shit doesn't matter to me. Um, and or to her, like it's, she's really cool about, if it if it's nine o'clock and I ask her, hey, can you go drop me off at the road? I need to go check ten trail cameras before midnight. Mm-hmm. She'll go do it. Like, right. yeah. she doesn't That's ask awesome. questions. She doesn't harp. But on the flip side, when turkey season is over in May, from that date until the Fourth of July, it's wife season. Yep. Yep. Period. It's yep. deer. D E A R season. Like, yes, <laughs> yes. Yes, deer. Yes, deer. Yes, uh-huh. deer. Yep. And we get along really good, man. We've been doing spring cleaning and stuff like that around here and mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> all kinds of stuff. Yep. You got to get the honey-do list done outside yep. of all the good, all the seasons. <laughs> sure. And we take a, you know, we take 10 days worth of vacation yep. just for us to, you know, right. we go travel somewhere and might be big, might be small, but the rest of them, it's deer hunting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, we actually had a conversation kind of about that on one of the episodes, and I don't remember which one it was now, but that just reminded me of it. We talked a lot about guys that don't have a ton of time. So say you work that 40-plus-hour job, and you only have so many vacation days, you only get so many days off, uh, going out there and hunting. So if you have to spend 
let's say your weekend, you can spend a day with the wife and a day in the woods. Yeah. You can limit your time in the woods, but still sustain a decent level of opportunity at killing that mature buck by hunting the better days. And not, oh, 100%. not only does it increase your chance of, of killing that buck, but you also get to still go out there because on the days that are crap days, it's 70 degrees and low pressure and the wind's blowing yes. 25 miles an hour. That's when you go home and spend time with the wife and do the honey-do list and all that stuff. So that's right. You can even do some of that stuff in the season and still kind of maximize your time in the woods. But that was interesting. That just made me think of that. We've had that's, similar that's conversations a, before. That's a great point. You know, like last year I was on a giant. And I mean, stupid. And um, it got super hot the first week in November, mm-hmm. and I just kept forcing a square peg into the round hole. I should right. have. I should have backed out of there and left that alone until those cold, high pressure, or excuse me, cold bluebird sky high pressure right. days come in right. i should have been at home instead of putting pressure on him because it, it was 80 degrees one day you think he's yeah. gonna get up and walk around in broad <laughs> right. daylight then right. no right. he's hotter than hell yep he doesn't want to move <laughs> just like we don't want to move yeah, he's got his fur coat on and all of his he's is literally yep. that white tail in the first of november is as big as he will be the mm-hmm. entire calendar year mm-hmm. so he's fatter than a pig mm-hmm. and he's got his big hollow gray winter coat on yep, yep. and he it's not that red summer reflective light coat right it's right. that heavy duty gray that soaks up the mm-hmm. gray and brown soaks up the 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 sun and keeps him warm and it's hollow would you think you want to run around in a fat suit that's insulated <laughs> right not <laughs> like, happening not happening no <laughs> nope yeah and, there, and i know that but i couldn't force myself uh, to, to not go. I, I, it was stupid because I pressured him off the piece and never shot him. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a big challenge for, I think for a lot of guys, which is why we talk about it is again. And it's a similar thing where if, if you do only have these certain days to hunt and by God, this is my day off, I'm going to go hunt. Maybe don't hunt your best stand. You know, if, if you're just going to go hunt that day, if, if it's a bad day to be out there, maybe go hunt a different stand and wait for your next or, day off, and maybe it's going to be a better situation to go hunt, yeah. that, hunt that best stand. Yeah, or freelance it. Like, yeah. grab a saddle and roll. Like, just go yeah. go try something stupid. Go hunt you some know? Public, like, ground, public ground yeah. if you got some around. Yep. Yeah, just go go do something stupid. Throw, Stop over-strategizing yourself out of giants. Yep, yep. Yeah, I like, think... Sometimes you just got to give it a whirl. Yeah, uh, I, it's a, I think people would be surprised, and maybe they wouldn't be, the amount of giant deer that are say at the Iowa show that were shot by guys who were doing just that. Like they didn't, yeah. they didn't really have a plan. Now there's a good number of them. Don't get me wrong. That guys were on and they had a specific plan that all came together, but I'd say a good percentage of them are guys that, well, man, I just, I was going out hunting that day and I decided I'd try this and Harry walked by and I killed him, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I started doing some more of that freelance, just, you know, let's go try something attitude. Mm-hmm like four or five years ago and like it, it definitely made me better. Yeah. You know, it makes you be able to see things better. Yep. And yep. when you're hunting on the fly like that, like hanging and hunting with, with uh, mobile set or, or doing stick, uh, mm-hmm. uh, doing a saddle or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what I like about it is you, you haven't pre hung that thing and you feel committed to that right. hard concrete spot. Like, man, I put all those steps up 
and and sweat my ass off in the summer and that sucker is going to stay there right if it's a good spot mm-hmm. and you put so much time and effort and you invest yourself in one spot and then what do you do you burn it up yep yep you burn it up it's it's natural we all do it you yeah. know, like it's a good spot. Then you burn the shit out of it in three years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If that long, you know, <laughs> so that freelance deal, it, it, it's fun. It's freeing. It's, it uh, makes it more enjoyable, even though you're being tactical with your decision, you know, smart right. with your decisions, right. you're not hunting wild. Right. Um, but you know, hunt passively aggressive, you know yep. what I mean? Yep. Like don't do something stupid. Yeah. I think that's, it does. Yeah. It keeps it a little more fun too and interesting and kind of a break from your normal pattern because if you do get set into what you're doing and so locked in you can burn yourself out even oh yeah burning that stand up even before you burn that stand out maybe uh, just driving yourself crazy thinking man this should be working why is it not working i'm doing this go out and maybe change it up a little bit it keeps it a little more interesting gets you out there keeps it more fun which is what it should be man that you're right and like i when so I shot that um, big wide buck wild side. I don't know if you guys have seen that video on my YouTube, um, but I shot like two years ago. I shot the biggest archery buck of my life and self filmed it. And mm-hmm. he was a whopper. Um, I'd worked on him for a couple of years, and finally he got like strangely as he got older, he got more um, daylight yeah. active. Like yeah. I noticed that in the summertime, like he was coming out before everybody else. Right, and like. Uh, to feed, you know, mm-hmm. I'm glassing him. And, uh, how old was he? Do you think? Um, I think he was, he's either six and a half or seven and a half, but I'm not sure. I think he's six and a half based Man. off of, um, but that might be a stretch. I, he may be a big five, but, um, it just seemed like the older that he got, I, I think he's six and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause I've seen him two years and I figured him to be a four the first year. And anyway, um, I, he definitely had that strange pattern and I, I started like being kind of like so committed to that stupid pattern of his mm-hmm. even, even I, I was catching him in daylight um, on trail cameras, super frequent in October even. Yeah. And I was so committed to that. Well, he's daylight active deal that I burned a couple of stands out mm-hmm. long, long, the short of it. I was so committed to this one ridge top. I just, I knew it was close to his bedding cover along along a ditch, a mm-hmm. super heavy ditch like uh, uh, power line right away, you know, where it right. grows up yep. thick in the middle yep. and it's got a little ditch run around it. Um, I, I was so committed to that stupid spot. And after about the fourth day of it not working on some of the best deer days in the country that year, you know, the November mm-hmm. 3rd, 4th, 5th, somewhere around there. Yep. I was beating my freaking head against the wall. I was doing all dayers and I, I knew my time, my, you know, good weather window was starting to run out. Right. And then it, then it warmed up to like 70 in the daytime. And, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to stay at home with the poopy pants mentality, <laughs> you know, yep. like to borrow a David Goggins ism. Um, <laughs> yep. I don't know if you guys know him, oh, yeah. but man, for sure. Very inspiring stuff. But, it, it, yep. you know, my wife, she was like, Clint, you're on vacation. You need to get your ass out there. It's like on the calendar, November 7th or 8th. It's the, the best day of the year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was thinking about staying home and pouting and taking my ball and going and sucking my thumb and laying down. <laughs> right. Yep. But no, my wife 
made me go. So I just picked this one random bullshit. Um, again, I'll be the first to tell you, um, it was pure luck that he was in there. I, I hung this stand with Troy when, before he even started hunting my stepson. Mm -hmm. Um, and he helped me hang it. It was one of those great big, heavy ass black metal steps, um, the stick ladders. Right. And we put another one on there to get it to 25 foot. And then we put one of those great big steel bottom platformed, um, river's edge, Mm -hmm. uh, sets, and man, we strapped it in there and there it set for, I don't know, four or five years by now, yeah. um, maybe six. And of course it wasn't trimmed out when I got there. It was a damn mess. I had oh, to use yeah. my tow rope and tie my handsaw on the end of the tow rope and use it to like, I'd flip the damn, um, I'd flip the tow rope over a limb and uh-huh. I'd climb down and then I'd tie it off. Yeah. with a zip tie and trying to create some space. <laughs> right. And so it's hotter than hell and I'm sweating my ass off and filming all this. <laughs> yeah. um, some guy drives down the highway with a hot rod doing about 190. <laughs> you can hear it on the video. Uh-huh. It is hilarious. Uh-huh. And I'm like, this is such bullshit. Nothing's going to work. <laughs> and yep. lo and behold, it's like 65 degrees and whoop, here he comes. Yeah. And that's the day. Like, yeah. Yeah. Broad daylight. And he goes out, checks the dough bedding area that's why i was that's why we put that stand there years ago it's right on a little confluence of a creek bed and a little tiny low-hanging thumb of a a creek basin and they get in there and lay in the low spots during the day Mm -hmm. and man it's a hell of a doe run and Mm -hmm. he 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 walked through the wild side walked through there about three o'clock broad daylight hotter than hell and he checked that doe bedding area went out in an open field and circled downwind to it and him and a little buck joined up together, and they were walking a trail right underneath me at nine steps. <laughs> Can't beat that. Can't <laughs> and I filmed him the whole way in. Like, <laughs> yeah. I stopped him in the best hole I had, and I laced him. <laughs> it was unbelievable. That's I awesome. laced him at like nine steps, and he <laughs> fell in 40. That's perfect. <laughs> and of course, I spazzed out oh, afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah how could you but not? yeah, but you know that that move like that meant going back to that my wife had to push me out of the house Mm -hmm. and get out of my piss poor attitude and go and look what happened yep just go just go yeah yeah no doubt hey you mentioned your youtube channel there and this kind of the last thing we'll hit and then i'll get you out of here but uh, i heard you mention that maybe you're going to be doing some stuff with north american whitetail tv this fall so can you tell us anything about that yeah, so um, Haynes Shelton, who's now um, the editor in chief for the magazine, mm-hmm. um, you know, of course they have North American Whitetail TV, and it's one of the longest running episodic um, television series. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, it's really something to hang their hat on as far as the brand goes. And I've always supported the brand again since I was, you know, a kid. Right. Um, and so when he he reached out and said, "Hey, um, you know," we're going to change some things on the TV side. Would you be interested in maybe doing some, some TV hunts with us? And I was like, um, what's the catch? <laughs> right. You know? right. He's like, nothing. Like, where do you want to go? And I'm like, um, are you ribbing me right now? You know, like, I don't know. I never thought myself as a TV hunter, you know, and, mm-hmm. but anyway, um, yeah. So I think I'm going to take him. I'm definitely going to take him up on that offer. And this year we're going to start, um, 
uh, probably go down to Kentucky since it's pretty close to home here in their yeah. uh, September early season yeah. and try to get in with, with a, a, probably a guide or an outfitter down there probably. Um, I've always traditionally been a do-it-yourself guy, but I can't pass this opportunity up being I want to see – it's not the bucks of the quality and size that I want to harvest really. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had my fill of that here at home, which is great. Right. But what I really want to get into is is shooting a whitetail in diverse habitat yep. um, and, and going out of my comfort zone a bit. And if it takes a, uh, you know, guide service or an outfitter, um, I, I, I would like that actually. Yeah. Um, it would, you know, I would be able to see more of the whitetails home range than just the Midwest, yeah. you know? Yep. No doubt. And I really want to do that because I love learning about them things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Same. Hey, I'll tell you, I've known you for all of about an hour and a half now altogether. I think you'll do awesome on a TV. I mean, for the TV show, I think you'll, I think it'll be great. I hope so. I don't know. I <laughs> never looked at myself that way, but you know, I'm just a regular guy doing deer hunting things. Hey, people want that, man. That's there's an appetite for that for sure. I think you'll do I, I think so. it'll be awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing some of that stuff and then checking out your YouTube channel as well, which is where I'll lead into anything you want to plug right now, tell the people where they can find you, your YouTube channel, social medias, anything like that. Uh any articles you got coming up that you want yeah, them to look out for. Anything you want sure. to plug, just go for it. Oh well. Um, not to sound like a commercial, but subscribe to North American Whitetail for real. If you want to get a, a quality content and they have it in digital and print form now, mm-hmm. it's like literally $12 a year, yeah. right? You spend yep. more than that getting shitty food at McDonald's, <laughs> yeah. okay? One time. <laughs> so one time. <laughs> yeah. So you get a year's worth of good Whitetail knowledge. It's the best bargain in the business as far as I'm concerned. That's no bull, but... Mm-hmm. Um, the, um, you know, other than that, my, I, I have a small YouTube channel that I'm starting to create more content for, but I, it's called deer hunter DVM. Um, uh, I call it deer hunter DVM cause I'm a deer hunter first and foremost and a veterinarian second. Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> in, in that order yeah yeah nothing wrong with that i hear you on yeah. that yeah so we go through you know product reviews and, and i put all my self-filmed hunts on there yeah. and, and we self-film our turkey hunts too and just i just put them together myself in the on lap or the, the desktop there and it's just something i like to do show the sport in a positive light you mm-hmm. know yeah we need more of that so i think that's good but hey i really appreciate you making the time to come on i really enjoyed it i like I think it was a great conversation, and uh, if you ever want to come back on, we'll reach out to you. You reach out to us. We'll have you on again. We are far from scared of return guests on this podcast. Okay. Yeah, I sure would, guys. (laughs) Yep, that's awesome, man. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Looking forward to reading more of your stuff in North American Whitetail coming up. Um, But, again, just thanks for coming on, man, and we will talk soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you. Yep. See you, Clint. Bye.